Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging, but if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Goldner. I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Jim Carr and Jason Zenger. What's up, guys? How you doing, Nick? I'm great. I'm surprised you even want to say Jim's name after the snafu that he's... No, I feel like we've been here before. We have. We have. How ironic was that? But anyway, it is great to be here. It's great to be in our new facility. It's great to be celebrating our first time being here at the headquarters. We just got done. We just popped a drop of champagne left in my Yeah, we just popped a bottle of champagne, and we're really happy that we're here. I mean, it it, it feels good. No, I'm not. <laughs> One glass of champagne. You'll hear in the interview that he's going to be slurring his words. So no, it's it's just excuse him. Yeah, it's all good. We made a, we made a toast, and Nick's dad was here, and I said it feels good to be part of the family and just celebrating this new venture and all of our careers, quite frankly. Because who who in the world would ever have thought I'd be doing this at my age? And I'm having a little fun at the at the same time. It is fun. It's fun to be here in the new in the new studio with real good equipment. No longer doing the. Corona remote recordings with oh that was all awful bad and, and you know our apologies to the metalworking nation for you having to endure some of those remote recordings it's not our style we like to be in person we like to have a glass of wine with our guests and and really just look at them face to face and we think that that just delivers that much better of an experience for our audience so needless to say we've got a lot to be thankful for and we certainly to, do a lot to feel positive about. But we always do a positive kickoff. One of us talks about something great that's going on at, at their respective business. Today, I'm going to ask Jason, what's going on, man? I think that this coronavirus pandemic has given has given me the opportunity to really look and say, how do I pivot in the business and how do I look at this differently? I think it's going to change our economy. It might change it subtly. It might change it in a big way. I don't think, I think it's too early to know that, but we are already moving along a trajectory of being able to hire people in whatever area, especially like for office work, whatever area of the country that we we needed them in or whatever area of the world. We had a cloud-based ERP, cloud-based phone system, all that kind of stuff. So I think it really gives us the opportunity to say, what do we really want to see? What direction do we want to see this business go? So couple real quick examples. Right now we run two, I guess you call them like, we're not retail, but we have showrooms where we have counter business. One it's of like, them- Almost like a mini Ace Hardware. No, not Ace Hardware. It's like Granger is one of our competitors. Okay, and sure. even Granger, they've got branches all over the country and they've got showrooms. And for one of our showrooms, it's just such a minor part of our business percentage wise. And I think that, you know, we just need to make the the tough business decision of saying, you know what, we don't need to have this as a part of our 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 business model anymore, this particular location. It's gonna be just all will call and and warehousing. And then also there's been some nice people stories that came out of it too. So like one of our our receptionists, her nurse for her disabled sister-in-law could no longer come to her house because of COVID. And so we were able to very easily transfer our receptionist to work from home, take care of her sister, and be able to not miss a beat in, in both of those things, both caring for our customers and the company and also taking care of her sister. So there's been some nice things that came out of it that I think can help prepare us for the future and really look at the company differently. Cool. Yeah, it's forcing everybody to check the status quo and mm-hmm. see if there's digital things you can do because obviously a lot of the physical stuff is limited. So yeah, yeah. If you have people that are machining parts or moving product around, you're limited in what you can do there. But I think it gives you the opportunity to say, okay, how can we reposition the rest of the company for the future, either from a sales perspective on things that we don't need to do anymore, or just from a workforce perspective. Absolutely. 
You guys want to hear some manufacturing news that I've drummed up? Absolutely. Go right ahead. What do you got, got, Nick? Okay, so this week's article comes from Modern Machine Shop. It's a publication this audience is very familiar with. It's about the car sales crashing in Europe. 78% drop in April. 78% drop in April. Double-digit declines. So, Oh, my God. That was the worst drop ever last month, and, of course, it's thanks to the corona pandemic. Also... Retail deliveries across the region skidded 52% in March and plummeted to 78% in April. Only 292,200 units, according to the ACEA. Sales through the first four months of the year were down 39% to 3.35 million passenger vehicles. That's what the ACEA, which is the trade group, that's what they reported. Not a surprise, last month's sales collapse was understandable. Most dealer showrooms were closed for the entire month. Besides, would-be customers were ordered to stay at home in an effort to slow down the pandemic. Stop there. So why isn't the United States feeling the effects of the same pandemic that they're feeling? I mean, I don't see this kind of data coming out of U.S. auto. It's interesting. I bought a car this week. You did? Yeah. Literally this week, my wife got, got a new car. And when I went there, I was like, well, man. It was curbside pickup, right? No, we, did actually, you, we went in. With oh, the you ma- went? Yeah, we had oh, a Oh, really? Okay, okay. We talked to the guy. But when I went in there, I was like, man, things have to be pretty slow right now. I'm trying to get like bargaining power and seeing what. Right, He's absolutely. Like, We're selling cars like crazy. What? And, you know, I don't know if. Oh, because they're, 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 they're giving them away the too, though. I mean, they're really making great deals. Yeah, we ended up with a great deal. I kind of know the wholesale value of cars because my uncle's a dealer, so I know they didn't make too much off of us. But And you could tell, like, there was other people in the store, you know how they ring the bell and do the whole, hey, congratulations, they throw, like, some confetti at you and stuff. That happened three or four times just that day while we were there. Really? Yeah. And so I'll recap back to when I was in Europe with our CEO over there. And he was telling me before this whole corona thing exploded that, the whole industry, the whole manufacturing industry and the machine tool industry was really hurting because there's like governmental regulations over there for limiting the amount of automobiles that are produced with conventional fossil fuels and diesel fuel and stuff like that. And they want to move more towards the electric, the Tesla. The, the hybrid type yeah, model. Hybrids yeah. or or 100% electric. So, yeah, but you said there was an issue with, a major issue with that, right? Right, so the... To change how a car is produced is change how the parts are manufactured, obviously, and then you have to change the machines and the, uh, your, everything. And it's a costly redo, and it's it's not like they've really done this before. So there, there's so much uncertainty with how they're going to do it and what machines they should buy, or you know what, what's the next regulation that's going to come out. And so it's just creating a lot of uncertainty. When there's uncertainty, people don't buy. And they don't invest because they don't want to invest in a bunch of stuff that's not going to pay off. Right, right. So everything was already slowing down. And then what happened was this coronavirus dropped in like right as it was already really, really tough. And it was just... So they got double whammy. Straw that broke the camel's back. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm not a European citizen. I don't know exactly what's going on with the auto market, but it's a global economy. So what happens over there hurts us over here, right. typically. Uh, so It sure is. So what are they trying to do to mitigate this? I honestly don't know. I think okay. it's, it's one of those things where reopening, of course, is, is a prerequisite to getting anything back as far as getting the economy back on track. So I know some of the countries over there are starting to reopen. And it's kind of like our states, they reopen a, at a different schedule. They're trying to incentivize the purchase of these new hybrid vehicles. The downside to that, according to Bob, our CEO over there, is 
they're not actually like making real hybrid vehicles. They're making like vehicles that are technically hybrids so that the government incentives for people purchasing a hybrid vehicle will just help them sell more cars. That so, makes sense. So they, they have all these like pseudo hybrids that are really pretty much just gas vehicles with like a little battery inside. Mm-hmm. And it was like the first generation probably. Yeah, they're like yeah. really lame. It's not actually doing anything. So they're just kind of trying to check the box and not understanding the spirit of the laws. Well, they probably do understand the spirit of the laws. They just want to make money, right? So they probably need to put some better legislation in place to where they're actually reducing emissions and actually transitioning to better energy sources. But it, it's a mess over there right now if, if you're in the automotive industry. I know that for a fact. Yeah, I would I would not want to be part of that. That would Imagine going to work every day there with 78% decline. Well, look at the, look at the travel industry. I mean, airlines are down 92%. I mean, that's, that's yeah. significant. There's going to, there's going to be a big fallout in, in the travel industry in the future. So that's what leadership is for, right? To navigate the, to get the most out of the best times and to mitigate the problems in the worst times. So with that, we've got a great guest. He's a friend and a mentor of mine. Will you introduce him, Jim? I would be happy to. It's always great to meet somebody that's been in manufacturing his entire career like like myself and and see the parallels and and hear your story just want to go ahead and formally introduce our guest today his name is Steve Schubert and he's lived he's lived his life surrounded by machine tools and metal cutting his manufacturing career began in high school working in the shop here at Advanced Machine and Engineering. From there, he grew into a leadership role in just about every function of the business, from operations to supply chain to field sales to sales leadership and eventually into the C-suite that he's in now. He's currently the COO of AME and he's technically Nick's boss. Let's make sure this is a good interview, guys. Please. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Appreciate it. So the reason why I wanted to bring Steve on, yeah, is, you probably uh, had a good reason. Yeah, not not because he's just your boss. Because are you he, trying to get a raise, a, Nick? He's yes. actually a smart guy. Yeah, I just want to. He knows he doesn't have to ask for that. <laughs> <laughs> no, so, he's got to beg for it. He doesn't have to ask. We have the kind of company where if you ask for a raise, you're probably not the person who's going to get one. <laughs> oh, is that right? Yeah, you just earn them. But we're doing this this whole series of videos, you know, making chips is helping us produce them actually. Yeah. And it's profiling different individuals where manufacturing has kind of made their career. And so it's called Manufacturing Creates Careers at AME. We use them to tell stories that will inspire the industry. We use them for recruiting videos and just overall culture videos. This this industry I'm doesn't just create a job, it creates a career. It sure does. And like probably the first career story we we have to tell in our business would come from Steve. So Steve, why don't you give us a look into the past, you know, how did this all start with you at our company? Well, it, it all started because I, I grew up in the same neighborhood as the Golner family and and was very good friends with with Elvin. I mean, Elvin and I were buddies back when we were 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, that kind of age. Harold's a couple years older than me, although I still hung out with him as well. Your dad, Dietmar, is actually, I think, six years older than me. But he was a good dude then, as he is now. And um, I can actually remember him kind of almost taking me under his wing when I was 12 years old. 
He was really active in his church at the time, and and it was just that kind of guy, you know. I mean, he he could almost tell if you you weren't fitting in into a group at the time, and he'd pull you in. So I just had a good relationship with the family. I used to get yelled at a lot by your grandfather and your grandma there for like picking <laughs> grapes and stuff off of their off of their bushes. But <laughs> kids and I, we we just kind of ran together, and it was a great neighborhood to grow up in, and that's how I got to know the family. Well, living in that neighborhood, you knew, I mean, I knew by that time that there was job opportunities, even at the age of, say, 15 years old. So I moved into the Rockford area, more into the Rockford area. The Golders live out on the north side of Rockford, kind of more in a rural area. I ended up going to a different high school, originally went to Auburn High School, and, and then I got transferred to West. I don't remember when I asked, but at some point I must have asked Alvin to see if I could get a job, and I got one. So I, I, I recall it being like the fall of 78, which would have been like my junior year in high school. You hear this story a lot. I started sweeping the floors, um, dumping garbage, picking up skids, nailing skids back together. Eventually uh, learned, was taught how to drive the fork truck, which was a blast, of course, when you're, you don't even oh, have yeah, a driver's license. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, I agree. And, and then I started dumping chips and then eventually got onto machines. I ran a, like a small turret lathe and the bandsaw. I ran the bandsaws for a very long time. By the way, I was also like taking vo- vocational courses at the vocational school here in Rockford, which mm. is a extremely vibrant place back in those days and working here. So um, I'd come over after school or when I got home, work two, three, four hours, uh, sometimes more during the week. I do recall getting home after dark, you know, many weeknights. And of course, I had to be back in high school, which I wasn't a big fan of school, but I was a big fan of working at the time. I do remember that. So you ride your bike back home afterwards? I I don't think I even had a bike. I had a skateboard. Okay, nice. So Ooh, that's got, cooler. Yeah, I yeah. was pretty good at the skateboard thing back in those days. That was when it was getting really popular out west and the skate parks were opening up. But yeah, I either walked or rode my skateboard and of course got a driver's license eventually. But that's how it all started. You know, as the years went on, opportunities just presented themselves, sometimes in very odd ways. One way I do recall um, getting more involved with customers or, or at least maybe our upfront people, I used to continue to hear like the receptionist page, our plant manager or our shop foreman. I, I don't really remember what we called him and he'd never answer. Probably like Earl or yeah, something. exactly. <laughs> I think his name was Vern actually. <laughs> there you go. So Vern would never answer that page and I'd get so tired of listening to this annoying voice paging the same guy over and over again. I finally grabbed the phone and I don't think I was rude to her, but I said, you know, can I help you? And she's, she asked me who I was. I told her, I didn't know her. I'd never seen it. I came in the shop and I and, left through the and shop And what door. role were you playing at that point? He was dumping well, chips. Well, I was, I was dumping chips, running so the So you just sauce. heard this page over the thing, over the PA system, the, this admin was looking Vern for, wasn't answering the phone. That's right. Yeah. So it was a page for Vern. Page, and Vern just, and you were probably getting annoyed, right? I was getting annoyed for sure. So you picked up the phone and said, Vern, what do you want? Or yeah, to the well, admin, what do you want? Yeah. Well, she was, I could tell she needed help. So I, and by the way, this, this was not when I was still in high school. So this is probably after early twenties. Yeah. At the, at the oldest. Yeah. I asked her if I could help her, and she told me, I recall her nearly being like in tears, or at least she sounded that way. She said, yeah, oh, I got a customer on the line. He's upset. He wants to know yeah, where she's, his he's are. Yeah, he's probably yelling at her, and yeah, she he doesn't is. know what to do. And we know and what that's about, right? So, yes, we do. Um, somehow, she gave me enough information. I found where those parts were at, talked to a couple of the operators, and we're all these old, old grouchy guys. It gave me like one word answers, and I called her back. Between puffs of a cigarette in the that's shop right, or something. Right. When will they be done? Later. That's right. (laughs) Later, kid. Get out of my face. So I gave her a date. 
She called the customer, and I think that day I I became the shop expert. You got a new hat. I got a new hat. Yeah. So I ran a machine, and I don't really remember which machine I ran at the time. I think like a Bridgeport or a, a drill press or both, and I was the expediter. And and it just continued to evolve into I wouldn't I don't want to say higher level roles, but I just got more like engaged in the business. And but you won't. The, the, I think the unique thing about what I'm hearing from your story, Steve, is you weren't actively seeking out these roles. They just fell I had, on you because yeah. you were the guy that put your hand up, and you were willing to push yourself out of your comfort zone and do something. For the benefit of the company. Well, so, I think know, one of the defining characteristics of a manufacturing leader is is being willing to take on something new, being willing to do what it takes in order to help the customer, in order to help the company. And that sounds like something that you are willing to do. I mean, well, yeah, I would, I would say, I would agree with all that. But I can tell you that back then, your motivation I didn't was think maybe about different. anything like that. I just, yeah. you almost like relate it to yeah. somebody who does does something. And somebody go, I can't believe that you did that. Well, I didn't even think about it. I just did it. You know, I, right. picked, I picked that car up and lifted it off of the guy because it looked like he was hurting. Yeah. So, you know. Well, sometimes I, it's just in you. Yeah. You don't have to think about it too much. So I, I just, I did recognize at that point, especially in my early and, and certainly in my mid-20s. And by my late 20s, I was married, had a, a couple of young boys, and and I knew I needed to make more money. My wife worked, uh, which helped, but I just knew I had to make more money. And I could see now at this point that the more I did, the more important I was to the company, more value I brought, the more money I could make. I got into sales after that expediting gig. I got into production control. I started to understand process more. I would talk with our purchasing people, and I understood the supply chain at a small level, at a low level. And then sales came along. I started talking to customers not and suppliers. And I think my first experience on the outside was a, a supplier symposium up, up at Kearney and Trucker in, in yeah. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And I went up there with our sales manager, Dan Lapp, and we all sat at this big table. There must have been 50 people By there. By the way, Dan was our first employee. Oh, yeah, is that right? That is okay. true. Yeah. Okay. So I'm up there with Dan, this seasoned guy. And and I want to say at the time, Dan was actually a Hennig employee. So I think he was there representing Hennig. That's all stuff's a long story, so we won't get into that. But Dan was the Hennig guy. I was the AME guy at this symposium. And all you had to do was when they came to you, you'd have to stand up, tell them who you were, what your role was, what your company did, stuff like that. Well, I was scared to death. And out of those 50 guys, I was maybe the 35th person that was going to get asked to Oh, you to had stand to stand up. and do an elevator pitch. I did. Hi, my name is I did. Jim Carr. I'm, I'm the... Do right. you like a first-class experience? Yes. Right. <laughs> so I was that whole time trying to think what I was going to say. And just, I wanted to be ready and I didn't want to look foolish, of course. And you were the last one. I was near last. Yeah, when I know they, that feeling. When they called my name, everything went blank. <laughs> I I think I used, I like ran on a few sentences, about 90 seconds of what may have sounded, to me at least, sounded like one word yeah. <laughs> because there were no gaps between any of my words or my sentences. And I sat down. Dan Lapp slapped me on the thigh and said, nice job, Steve. And I looked at him like praying to God he wasn't being sarcastic. <laughs> I'm sure and, you were doing yeah, and just that was, fine. That was my first time. And I didn't get a lot better the next day, but over the course of years, you know, and over the course of the time I've been here, and it is a long time, I don't really remember exactly how it all happened, 
but it just was a, a week by week, month by, by month, year by year thing. I became more exposed to how we did things, where we had our strengths and weaknesses. Was there ever a point where you were like, I want to have that be the guy? Is there, is there any point where you're like, I'm going to be the main guy here and that kind of clicked for you? Yeah, I would say so, but probably not until I was in my 40s. Okay. You know, I mean, it's a family-owned company, of course, mm-hmm. and Dietmar is our CEO and president, so I, I'd like to say I think I know I'm never going to be the CEO or president. I said that to him once. He goes, you never know. You never say never <laughs> is what they do. But so, before I've we- always said, as like the owner of a company, I've always said, like, if somebody can do it better than me, I have no problem with stepping exactly. aside. I mean, that would be the wise decision as the owner of the company is is if somebody else could come up behind you and and do it better. Yeah, like yeah. absolutely. Yeah, but Steve, let's back up a few years because Nick tells me that you served a formal apprenticeship back right out of high school when you. I assume you 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 went to high school, you came here, you started working full time, and then you said or somebody suggested you take a formal apprenticeship, so you've got that. Documentation. Tell us a little bit about the apprenticeship and how that went. Yeah, well, I, I I was in the apprenticeship program as I as I remember it. I never did achieve my journeyman's card. Okay, I don't remember why. We're not so here long, to judge. It was a long time just, ago. I know it was a um, long. You know, went to a vocational school. I mm-hmm. took the vocational classes that were required. Were you in vocational classes during high school, or were you do? Were, were Both. You, Okay, so you started your actual apprenticeship in high school. That's correct. That's that's a little unique. Yeah, I, I started. I, never heard I started classes in high school. Yeah, the fact Which, that that isn't I, the case anymore is a big part of why we're in this skills gap. Problem. Yeah, I, I mean, I know that when I took my machinist apprenticeship, it was you know I was nineteen, but I had already started working full time in the business, and my dad said, "I think it'd probably be a good idea if you do a formal machinist apprenticeship," and I went nights two or three nights a week, I don't even remember, for a couple of years until I, I got it. And I got my on-the-job training, of course, at my dad's. But w- the school that I went to did not have anything. Yeah. Well, well, as you might imagine, you know, with the German heritage here, oh. that type of training and, and an apprenticeship program in general has always been an important part of our company. And, and frankly, right now we have, you know, we kind of had a big gap there during the tough times. Early 2000s, you know, I, I don't, you know, most of the recessions are a, a blur to me now, even though I do remember little bits. This one's not, but yeah, this one's front and center. It's happening you right know, now. It's kind of like you forget that pain, right? And you just go do it again. But like it's always children. been important. It's always been important to Nick's grandfather, Willie, that we um, look at what the Europeans have done for, I don't know if it's been centuries, but it's certainly been for a century as far as the type of apprenticeship program they have. So, and, so what do you think that it takes? I mean, looking back on your apprenticeship program and what Willie put into place and the needs of a manufacturing leader now, what do you think it takes in order to build that next generation of either manufacturing leaders or just simply guys that are going to be successful out on the shop floor? Good question. That it's a tough question. It too, is a tough question. Because, you know, I understand at now at my age, I understand what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Might be able to like blow my own horn about a lot of things, but there's also a lot of things. You know, I didn't go to college. I mean, I went to community college. And again, that was a very long time ago. I hated it. I hated high school, hated college. I just wanted to work. So that's really who I am. But now at 58 years old, I recognize that I missed a lot. You know, I don't want to get into the small details of it, but the fact is, is there's, there's lots of business, financial, you know, counting concepts that that I don't understand. 
But there's people here, and this is where I want to go with this, there's people here that have those tools. I'm not going to say those are more of a commodity skill set, but I think they kind of are, whereas what took me 40 years to acquire are not. I don't, I only, I'm only- It's as, a, cr- a crude wisdom. Yeah, okay. Yes. <laughs> that's um, what it is. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like I said, I'd never had a plan, never. I still don't have a plan. I look after the welfare of my company the best way I can, my family, you know, things like that. So, I, I mean, I have literally no plan of where, where I want to be next year or 10 years from now, and I didn't 10 years ago. So I've just been this guy that has been fortunate enough, and that's the real key to it, is that this is a very caring family. I, I was there at the right time. Yeah, timing there, is There important. were these voids that I was able to fill. I mean, I don't know how you could script this better. I'm sure it happens. Probably not. They always go, oh, it doesn't happen that way anymore. It probably still does happen that way. So I'm grateful, you know, certainly proud of where I'm at, grateful of the opportunities. But I also recognize that had I gone to college, you know, if I had an MBA and maybe even still did my apprenticeship and, and did the same things, I'd be a smarter guy, but maybe not. So what I Sometimes book smart does, doesn't always make a difference yeah. either. You know, Dietmar told me once that, I don't know what he has. He has a, a bachelor's degree, a master's in something and an MBA. And he's like, there's almost nothing that I learned that I can apply to business today. Yeah, I can vouch for that. I've just been able to grow with the company. I've seen a little bit of the outside working at Ingersoll. And of course, now as you get older, you know, you just, it's kind of like playing golf or or any kind of a sport where you just think so much more about what you do. Mm -hmm. You don't waste any moves, you know, all that stuff. Why? Because you can't afford to, you're too old to waste moves. So you just try to be a little more strategic about the way you think and how you treat people and you don't overreact, you don't underreact and you're just honest. So and that's do you say to yourself sometimes I you keep your mouth shut a little bit more. Oh yeah, I do. <laughs> but I also it. don't I you know, I also say something when I think something needs right, to be said. Yes. So I mean, some people here might tell you that I'm too I'm too blunt. I have a filter. And I absolutely use it, but there's just times in in this type of an environment where you don't need a filter. You're working with people who who really understand the same plight. Everybody sees the finish line. Mm-hmm. We can all see it. And well, we that's know, a good team. It's a good culture yeah, that you and, have. And you don't yeah. know. You know, you can't get there on your own. Right. By the way, there's plenty of times where I have spirited conflict with other people in this company, but yep, it's usually resolved. Oh yeah. yeah but no, we, I think that's what makes yeah. our company good is like, we, we can do that instead of being all, you know, well, I, I feel this way, but I can't say it because there's all this red tape. It's a family business. Yeah, I, I do not like not knowing what somebody means when they tell me something. Yeah. I mean, healthy conflict is, is, is very, healthy. very important. I think when you're always just trying to be like Mr. Nice Guy all the time, like it just, it doesn't work. You have to tell people the truth for their own benefit. So this this place has just been the land of opportunity. Like Jim, we're gonna have <laughs> like a talk. Jason. We're gonna have a talk after this like episode, Jason, and I'm gonna have to tell you. You can't some hard show truths. up to meetings thirty and forty five minutes late anymore. But wait, he listened. But Jim, you can't. It's not all about you. You can't talk about yourself. No, I know. Time. I know. What I'm hearing from our guest is there's not really like a, a curriculum for success there in this is industry. Not, yeah. There's curriculums for apprenticeship programs, and obviously there's something to that. You know, you've got to you got to cover all the different functions or whatever. But our apprenticeship program is a little different in that we don't follow a super strict curriculum. We kind of tailor make it to yeah, go ahead, Steve. Yeah. So, you know, we are members of the NTMA and the local chapter of that program. And of course they have 
their own established curriculum for, for different disciplines. But we were able, and, and Brad Patterson was more part of establishing this than, than, than I was, but we've now done exactly what Nick just said. We've kind of like carved out some language and removed some things that really aren't as applicable as they were. I mean, nobody spends 500 hours honing anymore, you know, in the machining. So, <laughs> on a know, sun and hone? Yeah, yeah. on a sun. And, by the way, I ran a hone for like a year, so. <laughs> I have too. So yeah. yeah, that's a whole nother story. But, yeah. So yeah, we a had lot of oil. A lot of oil. A lot exactly, of oil. Right through the apron. Yep. We do have a, a program now that's tailored directly to not just our company, but to what we think is really applicable to this industry, you know, in 2020. And we have a number, you know, we're graduating, we're hiring one to two people a year, graduating one to two people a year. We've had a couple of tough years. We've lost uh, a couple of apprentices for some reasons. But in the last, uh, I want to say 10, not 15, but 10 years, we've had a lot of success with this program. And if you walk around our shop, I can introduce you to supervisors and middle managers that were, were guys that graduated from that. So yeah. can, I, I, can I ask where you're recruit, recruiting them from, though? I think that's well, an important and valuable... In the beginning, it all st- first off, Votech, I mentioned earlier, okay. was located at Jefferson High School, which is on the southeast side of Rockford, Okay, one of our Big Ten schools. They don't have Votech anymore, but they still have an industrial program there, so they still have a, a shop. They rebranded. And there was a gal there, I don't recall her last name, her first name was Marianne, and about 10 years ago, there was some money for an internship program that she ran. And I don't know, she contacted me somehow and started to bring us these candidates. And these kids were the cream of the crop. And they're here. There's three or four of them here right now. Two of those four are supervisors in the shop. So that that was our, our feed system at the time. They lost the funding for that. I think she retired. We're still getting some guys from Jefferson. But really not through that. How, how could we lose the funding for that? What what could this country need well, more than that? Rem- I mean, remember that during that period of time when manufacturing was this icky, dirty business, ugh. all the parents said you have to go to college, you have to, you know, be a doctor or a lawyer, and you shouldn't even think about. It. And that was around the time when most of the politicians were saying we need to send our manufacturing over to China because yeah, it's horrible. icky and dirty, and and it just got gutted. And now they want it back, and it's not that easy just to turn it back around. It takes time. So the way we connect now with uh, the community to find out who these candidates are, first off, we have, I'm going to say, a decent rapport with two or three high schools in Rockford, Hananiga, Winnebago, it's actually in Winnebago, Illinois, and Jefferson that still have like tech programs. And they may not even be for metalworking. To me, any kind of a hand, if it's automotive, a kid that's had a couple of years of auto shop. Oh, they're ripe for this industry. I agree. Do you think that that investment in bringing them on as an apprentice at your company really leads to that longevity with the company? Like they don't want to leave because they know that you invested that time and money into them. I do. And I would like to think that their families recognize that where our heart is, obviously we want to continue to have a a vibrant, healthy organization where we've got a diversity of people that are going to be here in 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, because, you know, guys like me, we're not going to, I'm not going to be here 10 years from now, or at least I'll be on very much on the tail end of my career. So we have to bring these people in. And we've actually had parents and we've invited parents in to come and visit us. We've told these kids, bring, tell your mom and dad to come in. I'd like to talk to your dad, let him know what a great opportunity this right. is. Absolutely. I haven't done that for a while, but I've done that before. Yeah. Also the Rock River Valley Tooling and Machining Association 
Rock um, Rally, Rock River Valley Tooling and Machining Association. I have never heard of that before. Yeah. Oh, you know, you have the TMA in the Chicago area. It's a more of a regional. Yeah, Rock River Valley TMA. Yeah. I did not know yeah. that. We're pretty close. Matter of fact, the the director for the apprenticeship program is the instructor at Jefferson High School. His name is Dutch. So Dutch will bring us a, a list of people who have taken this aptitude test and shows all their grades, you know, who they are, where they live. We can call them. So we can call them and say, hey, we, we understand you're interested in a career in, in metalworking. If you'd like to come in for an interview, a tour, he will bring people in for a tour. We'll have high school shop teachers bring kids in for a tour. But to be totally honest with you, I've heard from more than one instructor that they wouldn't recommend one of their students that's graduating, that's in their tech program to come work here. Wow. Now, he says it typically isn't because he says they're just not prepared to work. They're good kids. They get decent grades, but they come to class late. They just don't demonstrate. This guy I deal with, he does not want to send us somebody where we go, you know, why'd you send us this guy? Yeah, they don't have the soft skills. And I think that that's important. I mean, I'm pretty familiar with a lot of the these types of programs, at least in the area that I'm from, and the and the really good ones work very heavily on the soft skills as well as they do on like you know the hard technical so, but skills. But who, who do you blame the the lack of soft skills? Well, on? the la- it's it's clearly to blame on the parents. But when there's a lot of kids that are born into a situation where they don't have that parental figure, and then you you need to figure out, okay, is there another, an, either an employer or a teacher that could take that role on and teach them? But because the, the kid's not to blame I know for the fact that their parents were not there And I can say this because I'm a millennial, but like the snowflake culture we have isn't really helping anybody. Yeah. Right, yeah, but exactly. Is, well, remember, this goes back to if you need to veer towards more discipline or less discipline, it's yeah, more discipline, right, remember? Yes. <laughs> Which you said that was a Jason thing, but yeah, well, I think I'm the same way with be, my kids. Yeah, exactly. Well, so, I know we're going, going down a rabbit hole, but I want to, this is important and I want to talk about it just a little bit, and then we'll get back to Steve. But, I mean, is it the company's responsibility to teach soft skills? It's not, res- it's not about responsibility. It it's, resp- about, it's about, you know, you need to care for your employees. And if, there, if you can do something to help somebody out that didn't otherwise have that. Like, you and I were, all of us at this table, I mean, I'm not sure about Steve's situation, but I know at least with the three of us, we we're very blessed to have the kind of parents that we had that taught us those things. But there's a lot of kids out there that just do not have right. that. You know, my mom's pretty good too. Okay, <laughs> okay. So you did have now it, we so know. Thank yeah. you. Steve. Yeah. So <laughs> your mom was very disciplined with you, but there's a lot of kids out there that are just like free reign and, yeah. and like they haven't gotten that. And so somebody needs to come into their life to say, you know, hey, this is what reality is like. And you know, it could be a teacher, could be an employer. I mean, I've I've had to play that role with mm-hmm. with employees before. And you know, just say, "Hey, this is how we do things here." And I understand that you're not used to that, but this is what you need to conform yourself to. And it's go- like for younger kids in like their twenties, and it's going to be the best thing for you in the future. The ones that get it, I think, are going to be more successful. It comes down to what we always talk about with your core values. Core so, values. So you don't bring like a, people in that don't have your core values right. and try to rehabilitate right. them into having your core values. Yes. Right. You don't do that. But when when someone does come into your business, you constantly reinforce those values. But you can also so see that's p- our responsibility. You can also that, see potential. That, now that I believe is a responsibility of the employer. Right. But you can see potential in people. Like not sure. everybody. But I'm not going to tell know, Johnny to comb his hair, brush his teeth, and wear deodorant. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, you need to show up on time. Oh, you need well, to. There, but there's some people that just haven't been taught that. I don't know. You do need to wear deodorant. Though. I know. I put put your phone away. <laughs> yeah. I've oh, had. Yeah. That, we, no, well, that's been, another dynamic that we we do a whole podcast on that. 
that, and maybe we should. I, I do apologize for like text. I was dealing with an emergency, so my, my apologies. <laughs> we know you're on, oh, you're making apologies for. We know doing you're that. not playing cards on your phone. No, I was not. Pl- I was. I got a text from my wife that was like, "Hey, I got a work emergency. I need you to call me." I'm oh, like, geez. "Can we deal with this over text?" And yeah. so we were able to. But anyway, you know, there is a role I think just in for the greater good of being able to care for the people around you, where you're like you invest in that person. Like we had a person that was doing our our vendor managed inventory for our clients, and he was a just a great kid. But there were certain things about him that he wasn't taught. For from his family, and, and we had to teach him, and now he's doing better. It kind of redefines family business. You it, re- it, redefines, <laughs> it redefines family business. Speaking no of all the it. different roles that we, or the different I, hats I have one we last wear. question about the, the apprenticeship yeah, program, if you don't mind. So your company is a little bit larger than, you know, say like the average machine shop or like gyms, but given the amount of time that you have to invest in some of these kids, do you think that like a small shop could have an apprenticeship program that could make a difference for the next generation of manufacturing leaders? I absolutely do. As a matter of fact, it, the danger in a bigger shop is, and we fortunately don't have this problem here, but what I've seen in larger shops is the exposure they, they get, the, the diversity of equipment they get to run is limited. They may, you know, if you need 2,000 hours of turning, they may stick them on a, the same lathe for 2,000 hours. They make the same part for 2,000 hours. That's not what we do here. And by the way, I think at a smaller company, you'd have even less of that. Now, smaller companies may not be able to afford the investment that they have to put be, into this into the candidate because you do have to invest them from a money standpoint. So, Like what would that investment be? What are you um, thinking? Well, first off, the class. Classes, I think, are a couple thousand. So I would say it's maybe three to four thousand dollars a year. So it's a four-year program. So something less than twenty thousand. That's what it's costing the company. Us, we pay for all. Of okay, it. wow. We pay for their classes. We pay for them to. We pay for everything as they far as they have to get a certain grade, them. though, right? They yeah, C or better. I mean, we basically sponsor the student. Okay, mm-hmm. and then needless to say, there's cost associated with having someone here that doesn't really contribute to the bottom line and right. we're training them and for a good a, a good deal of time they're they're shadowing yeah so you're almost subsidizing not only the education but also a full-time right. job because they're learning along so a six-man shop half That's a million a dollar shop percentage. having some guy standing around shadowing sometimes isn't it's costly it's not cost effective right. that's for yeah. sure but if they think they're going to go pick off if they're looking for a quality machinist and they think they're going to go poach one away from somebody, I think they've d- discovered that that's not easy to do. Right, so. Steve, after a long career in manufacturing, multiple decades, and it, it, I, again, I just want to tell you, it's refreshing to hear your story because it parallels a lot of my story as well. What would you say in one or two sentences to someone that's just starting their career in manufacturing? Well, number one, I would for sure tell them to go through the apprenticeship program, number one, regardless of if they wanted to end up in engineering, you know, sales, purchase, anything. Because of what we do, if you, if you don't have, if you don't understand manufacturing, part making, machining, you know, all those things, it's really difficult to get really comfortable in your skin. So I think at a minimum, you have to do that. If you want to go on to engineering school, that's fantastic. You're going to be a lot smarter than 85% of the other kids in the class because you have all this hands-on knowledge. I think that manufacturing is a fantastic industry. Obviously, mine's, I'm going to say mine's a little narrow. You know, I could have done a lot more outside of advanced. In other words, I think I could have taken my experience and gone to other adjacent type industries, not necessarily the machine tool industry. I think we think that with all the reshoring and just the investments that our administrate our government will continue to put into our country, I'd like to think that manufacturing will remain one of the largest places of employment 
for the next half century. Service, I'm not directing my kids to the service industry. I'm not telling them, you know, you should be a, a waiter. Nothing wrong with these jobs. They're all honest jobs. But the type of skills that you're going to learn and the, the amount of value you can bring to your company and you become so much more marketable when you make things. So I've directed mine. By the way, I have a, a son. My oldest son is one of our regional sales managers. He has the the kind of the Midwest territory for both Hennig and AME. And I don't even remember what he graduated from college and it wasn't manufacturing and it was industrial science. But he worked here in the summers, you know, did AutoCAD modeling and things like that. Did some engineering work when he got out of high school, excuse me, when I got out of college. And he's, you know, following, I'm going to say in my footsteps, probably because I was able to get him a, a job, but he's not squandered that opportunity. My youngest son, Ethan, is uh, working here as well. He's working oh, wow. for Nick. Oh, wow. That's great. I didn't know that. He's our customer success specialist. So, nice. uh, you know, he's a young young kid, 22 years old. And by the way, at 22, I was not able to kind of have the perspective that he's been given. He now can see all these things. He doesn't quite understand yeah, they, well, what's they're going different. on. They're different. It was just different times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think back and I like I didn't know what he knew until I was like 30. I don't think we were that worldly. We didn't think horizontal. We thought vertical or something. So, I don't know. Maybe I strayed away from your question a little bit, but editorialized way too much. But I just think that there's lots of examples of me out there, even at our company. By the way, there's there's a lot of other people that started at that time or maybe five or 10 years Yeah, you later. should check out the videos. We're making these Manufacturing Creates Careers videos and just telling all the different people's stories. Because, okay, I go through apprenticeship program. Now I'm a machinist apprenticeship. I'm just going to run a machine. Well, maybe you will if you like it. You might be a supervisor of a department. You could be a business no, unit we manager. Need, we or going need to sales. Our, you know? yeah. our apprentices that are now 10 years into their career here, and 10 years from now, they need to move into these middle management, these leadership positions. I, again, no knock on colleges. I've sent my kids to college. But you're not going to learn in college. You're not going to be able to fulfill one of these roles unless you've done this 20-year thing. I mean, you you do. You need 20 years of experience to fulfill and satisfy some of the requirements for some of these roles. Because if you don't understand how to make parts and how to process parts and cutting tools and work holding and who you buy it's a things lot, from. Man. It's a lot. Um, so this just like one of those careers where I don't want to say you don't have to go to college, but and college is not going to hinder this. It's going to slow things down. That's all it's going to do. But a great industry in a great part of our country uh, with a great family. Great. Well, that's a great way to end this interview, Steve. We thank you for, all right. for being on here. So, guys, what's, what's your big takeaway from, from all of that? I, I really respect Steve a lot. I, I really enjoyed this interview, quite frankly. He were basically the same age and went through the same type of thing. And I just love that he's, I can't believe he's been with this company for all those decades. <laughs> And I think that he everything he said was very authentic. He's absolutely right. If you want a long-term career, then you need to put up and show up and learn the trade. And it can be a lifelong career to support a family for the rest of your life. I was going to say that I think one of the takeaways that I have is, is if you are 
working, not if you're even if it's your own family business or if you're working for somebody else, just be willing to jump into things and be willing to take on the next big project and be willing to help the customer even if you don't know what it is that they're asking you or be willing to help your peer or your boss or even somebody you know that may be just starting out. And that's the type of thing that brings you along a trajectory from aspiring manufacturing leader to the manufacturing leader like like Steve has achieved. Absolutely. I was I was going to see if one of you said that and that's that's my biggest takeaway. Steve didn't say, "Hey, hey, can I get a promotion? Can I have this job?" I heard some quote and I'm going to butcher it, but it had to do with like responsibility and authority. And I think it was like take responsibility before you ask for authority. Mm-hmm. Something like that. And yeah, that's kind of what he did. He picked up the phone and helped that woman out. Now he's the expediter. And you know, he jumped into this role because there needed to be leadership in that area. He becomes the head of the department, all the way up to now he's our chief operations officer. So that that's inspiring and I hope it inspires other kids who are considering a career in our industry to to jump in and get started, you know, even if they start sweeping the floor. And why? Because there's no shortcuts. And if you don't have the right training and you don't have the right mindset, you won't be making chips. And if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. As always. Thank you for listening to the Making Chips podcast. You need to increase the speed and feet of your business. If you're not elevating your manufacturing leadership, you're going to get left behind. The metalworking nation is committed to a new way to stay ahead of the competition. We have more content to help you make and elevate at makingchips.com. Gain access to exclusive content, as well as videos, blogs, show notes, and more resources designed to equip and inspire you. We'll see you next time.